0: All right, Tom, welcome to another edition of the Sunday Puncher Podcast. I got Tom here with me, and um, we had Danny Garcia return to action last night. We had Danny Garcia winning a unanimous decision, unexpected unanimous decision, over Ivan Redkak. We had Jarrett Hurd getting a decision win over Francisco Santana. We had Stephen Fulton getting a decision win over Arnold Hey guy, and we also had the devastating news of the passing, the accident of Kobe Bryant over the weekend. I don't know personally, I considered not doing the podcast today. Um I'm from LA. I was maybe 9 years old when Kobe first got drafted. Uh and I grew up my entire life watching Kobe Bryant, um idolizing Kobe, shouting Kobe anytime I was sh- shooting trash into the trash can like so many others out there. Um, you know, I remember there I mean Tom to 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 kind of bring boxing into this, you think of um, you know, huge gates like Mayweather McGregor, Mayweather Pacquiao. Kobe's last game, the cheapest ticket to get in was seven hundred dollars. And like there were tickets going for like twenty seven thousand dollars. Just wow. to be in the arena,
1: like <laughs> holy shit!
0: For people who who don't follow basketball, who um are maybe outside of the U.S. and aren't quite sure about the the impact of Kobe Bryant, like just think about that. This final game, people were paying twenty seven thousand dollars, and it was a, in a fairly meaningless game. Um, you, you think of like. I don't know Floyd Mayweather's last fight being against Andre Berto, or like, yeah, you know his last real boxing match against Andre Berto, and people paying absurd amounts knowing that that was the last time they were going to see him. I mean, that would be you wouldn't expect that, even even though we know of Mayweather's greatness and all that stuff. Or, um, you know, you want to sub Manny Pacquiao into that? Fine, Manny Pacquiao's last fight against, um, you know, some unsuspecting opponent, and but you wouldn't see that. But like Kobe was that significant, so. It's devastating, um, sad, you know. His daughter's gone as well, and all this stuff. You know, you can go and read up all about that. But uh, let's talk about boxing. Let's talk about um, Danny Garcia. Now, one thing that I don't want to fall into the trap of doing is responding to something that didn't actually happen. And I think, and and I'll acknowledge that there are times in the past where we we've fallen into that trap of talking about. Um, a reaction that maybe w- wasn't that big, you know, w- that there wasn't that many people. Maybe there was a few people that had uh, a pr- a particular perspective, but that's not the vast majority. So Danny Garcia outpoints Ivan, Ivan Redcack And, like, first of all, did you expect to see Danny Garcia go in there and win an unanimous decision?
1: All right. I was definitely expecting a knockout, but that there was the intrigue coming in because we've seen Garcia in his last few fights against lower level opponents score a string of really spectacular highlight reel knockouts earlier in his career, though, he was known as being a guy who, with a lower level of competition, really fought down to that level of opposition. Um, You know, had a close fight early in his career with um, Ashley Theophane, you know, who seemed to be an overmatched opponent. Had a close fight against uh, Mauricio Herrera, uh, who some conspiracy theorists still think Garcia lost to, which is kind of idiotic. Um, You know, so he had that reputation of fighting down to his level of opposition. And there's a phenomenon we've talked about before, which is if you're a high profile fighter and you take what looks like an easy fight on paper, there's kind of a humiliation factor. You're kind of expected to just go in and take care of business. And that's always difficult. You know, if a fighter is fighting simply to get knocked, simply to survive and not get knocked out, it can be very hard to take them out. So, you know, I weighed all of those things going in. Um, I still thought the most likely thing was a knockout, though. I had on my mind the Brandon Rios knockout. Um, the knockout in his last fight, you know, uh, I, I thought that he was going to show up and take care of business. He seemed very focused and, you know, for three quarters of the fight, it looked like that was going to happen.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect with this fight. I thought that the likelihood of Ivan Redcat getting knocked out was fairly high because we've seen this guy fight before. We've seen him struggle against Tevin Farmer. We've seen him get stopped by John Molina Jr. We've seen this guy over the course of the years look like sea a C-level fighter, a guy who's good, who's going to come in and have an earnest uh, performance no matter who the opponent is. But ultimately, we know that those guys at the top, top, top would ultimately have their way with him but i feel like sometimes people create expectations for fights and and you know you and i included where we may only look at one side of things and if you look at the side of redcack like yeah that's a guy who could get stopped by an elite guy and therefore you you think that that is the way the fight will go but like i the thing that i was watching and and just realized looking at this fight was like Danny Garcia just fights to the level of his opposition. And like, has Danny Garcia ever had a fight where he looked spectacular? Where he put on a performance that had you talking about him? And I would go on to say that the answer is no. Which fight, if you disagree with that, is the fight where Danny Garcia looks spectacular start to finish? Where he put on a performance where the only thing you could do Coming out of the fight. Was to praise him. And if you would like to bring up the Amir Khan fight. Which is a fight that I didn't think Danny Garcia was going to win. Is a fight that Danny Garcia did spectacularly finish. And he looked great in parts of that fight. But you have to remember that one. If you weren't following boxing at the time. One. Most people said that Danny Garcia. And you know just to put him down. Got lucky. His eyes were closed when he landed that shot. Blah blah blah. And the other aspect of it is that most people also acknowledge that Danny Garcia got lit up those first two rounds before he got dropped. So even though he got the result, it's not like the 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 consensus coming out of that fight was Danny Garcia went and just steamrolled and did a squash job on Amir Khan. So do have I get you know this is off from the topic of the fight but like is there any fight that you recall where Danny Garcia looked com- like like a stud coming out of the fight?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think I already, you know, said my point about that about you know, it's like you look back at like Samuel Vargas fight absolutely annihilated him. Brandon Rio's fight absolutely annihilated him, Adrian Garratos fight absolutely annihilated him. You know, he had seemed to turn a corner from a guy early in his career who, you know, it's like, um the Mauricio Herrera fight, the Lamont Peterson fight. Like, you know, he, Danny Garcia was always known as a guy who would have a great win, like his win over Lucas Matisse, but then have a harder than expected fight the next time out against limited opposition, you know, that he didn't keep that focus. And, you know, again, he had looked like he had turned the corner. He also, you know, annihilated Pauly Malignaggi, these lower level of opposition that he was able to take them out in. You know, again, I, I, I sort of, I think it's, I you know, I was at the fight. I haven't paid attention to a lot of the Twitter stuff. I mean, are reactions really that negative? Um I mean, it was an absolute so wipeout. I, I mean, he he landed highlight real blow after highlight real blow throughout the fight. I mean, he, you know, definitely took the foot off the gas pedal in the last two rounds, you know, so he definitely right there, like gassed, I say, yeah, I mean, in that fight. It definitely is uh you know, a knockout would have been way better. Then a unanimous decision. But I mean, it was a completely one-sided fight and he was landing bomb after bomb.
0: Well, I mean, there's two things about why I bring this up. So one, we're looking at this as like a potential, um, a potential audition for Manny Pacquiao or Errol Spence. And um, sure, Ivan Redkak is a, is a Southpaw and is no, like, you know, that's not Manny Pacquiao or Errol Spence and is not even close. Um, but the other thing is like, Danny Garcia is a patient counterpuncher who is flat-footed for the most part. There was great combinations. He can put punches together. He's accurate. His timing is good, et cetera, et cetera. But if he does not have a guy in front of him that is going to um, adhere to that and give him those opportunities, Danny Garcia is going to struggle in fights, um, not in the sense of struggle to win, but struggle to make it obvious that like he's just wiping a dude out. And that's just the nature of it. There's a lot of there's a lot of times where Danny Garcia is waiting for something to happen. That's by nature of his style. And that style, you know, was he that much worse than Steve, uh, or sorry, not Steve, uh, Keith Thurman? Not really, but Steve, or I, I don't know why I keep saying Steve, Keith Thurman basically came in and outworked him. Sean Porter outworked him because Danny Garcia was sitting around waiting for something to happen. He can't make things happen on his own. And so you get the expectation that Danny's gonna go in and and kind of like steamroll guys, and he didn't do that. And like I, I wasn't that disappointed. Um, I don't think the fight was like super entertaining. like there was some certainly some clippable moments from that fight because Danny did land some really clean power shots. but for the most part, it wasn't that entertaining of a fight. and I think that's the takeaway there. It um, is that Danny Garcia had a clear, dominant, conclusive victory over Ivan Redkack, but it kind of left you just feeling like, eh, you know, that wasn't the most thrilling uh, fight that I've seen. And yeah. and I, go on.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it's always, look, I'm the guy who makes the highlight videos. I'm always thinking in terms of, like, what is the production looking to get out of the fight? You know, yeah, it would have been better if you have a highlight of a knockout instead of just, many 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 highlights of him landing flush bombs but it's like for the sake of me wanting to make clips going on it's like you know i I know i'm looking at it through a narrow lens but it's like uh, the substance of what he did in the fight is there yeah again it definitely would have been better if he'd gotten the stoppage but i mean if you want to see danny garcia landing bombs on a southpaw like you know you've got clips for sure um Also, you know, again, to say how does this matter setting up um, Pacquiao or an Errol Spence fight, it's like, again, at the end of the day, this fight was a wipeout. And look at uh, Sean Porter against your Dennis Ugas leading into the Spence fight. When you have a pay-per-view, you're judging a fighter's entire resume. You know, there's an axiom in boxing that you're only as good as your last fight, but That's only true to some extent. I mean, Floyd and Zab Judah did great business, and Zab Judah was coming off a loss to Carlos Baldemir. Um, I don't remember if he had an interim fight, but he had, you know, at least recently lost the fight to Carlos Baldemir, who Floyd had beaten. You know, went on to beat. So, um, you know, you're judging the substance of someone's, you know, resume and reputation, and Danny Garcia is still an extremely ripe b-side against errol spencer manny pacquiao for sure you know he has tons of knockouts his only losses are close losses to sean porter and keith thurman i i've said repeatedly i scored the danny garcia sean porter fight for danny garcia um you know those are still great fights i i you know i i just like i said i haven't been online enough to know if there's a doom and gloom. I mean, I think definitely hardcore fight fans, like, you know, it's one of those things. Would doom it doom and there gloom be... is
0: coming from the the people you expect it to come from. Let's just put yeah, it that way. Yeah, I
1: mean, would there be more energy if, you know, he put him down like you put down Brandon Rios? Well, sure, you, you want that exclamation, but it's like he got, uh, just to, to, to finish, it's like he got, in my opinion, he got one exclamation point and not all caps three exclamation points. You know, it's like there's so many ways on the spectrum of good and bad performances, this was well on the side of a good performance, you know, <laughs> and not anywhere close to the, you know, bad performance side of it. Like, you know, Oscar Valdez against squat Scott Quigg, you know, shortening his career and possibly lifespan in that fight, you know, breaking his jaw and any number of Alex Sacedo's fights where he's gotten just, you know, beaten up. I mean, it's like, he won a one-sided fight. I just, I'm i just not going to apologize that much for him.
0: Well, and I also think that most boxing fans are completely miserable and, um, and insufferable. And people on social media are so quick to look for something to be uh, critical about and it's part of the culture if you look at twitter and you read the timeline it's mostly people being negative about things you know nobody's ever just going on and all they talk about is the things that they love and nobody wants to go out on those on a limb and, and talk like that because you know you you show you say that you like one guy and the moment that they lose people want to retweet you people want to talk uh, trash to you about you liking somebody who wound up not being good you know and it creates it's like the self-fulfilling thing where you're like, you're tied to the amount of people, sorry, you're tied to the, the boxer's success. And therefore nobody wants to actually enjoy success because the moment that that dries up, you're gonna, you're gonna, you, you know, it's like, you're losing too. And so, you know, that part is really annoying to me. I, I really don't like that. Um, and, like, it really annoyed me after the Teofimo Lopez fight when he had that really disappointing performance with Masi, um, uh, Masayoshi Nakatani. Um, Teofimo looked pretty—I don't know. Were you there, Tom? Teofimo didn't look good. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Didn't look good. Like, I mean— yeah. But he looked good. Like, he was obviously good enough because he won the fight. It wasn't like Teofimo um, got this, like, complete robbery of a decision and, and, and all of that. That, that didn't happen. But he was disappointing enough to for for people to 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 be critical about, and nobody really stopped to like just say like, "Hey, Teofimo uh, still got the win here, and it didn't look great." But you know what? Sometimes Styles make fights, and um, you know that that kind of thing is really annoying. And that's this was popping up right now is people just want to complain about something. Danny Danny Garcia did what he was supposed to win, and you brought up Sean Porter, um, and I thought you were going to go down this route, but you didn't. But like. Sean Porter arguably lost that fight to your Dennis Ugas. Okay. I was watching it. I was tight while I was watching because I was like, uh, Sean Porter is not looking good here. And I think that this could be certainly um, going the other way. Now, it didn't go the other way, but he still got the Spence fight and we still got a, a great fight. And like, so for me, it's like, I ask myself all the time do people care about. You know, what do people care about? Do they care about enjoying the sport? Or do they care about being right about things? Like, do you care about guys always being dominant? Or do you care about seeing entertaining fights? Like, do you want to see two undefeated guys fight? Or do you want to see two guys who maybe got a loss or two here or there and just have a great fight? You know, what do you want? JoJo Diaz and Tevin Farmer both have, like, what, five losses between the two of them? (laughs) But, and, and and it's, like, not the greatest fight. You know, JoJo Diaz is a fledgling um super featherweight tevin farmer's like okay he's possibly the fourth best third best guy at the division maybe even lower than that and we've taken our fair share of shots at tevin farmer over the over you know the years everyone has but if that fight turns out to be spectacular like why not put it over you know but people are crazy
1: um yeah, I, I agree with most of what you said there. I just want to make a point. Like, I don't believe in framing this stuff around a negative. Like I said, I haven't really gotten into a lot of the Twitter stuff, but it's something I kind of saw coming from a mile away. Like, we've had so many, like, traffic jam weekends where there are, like, days in cards, top rank cards, uh, PBC cards on the same weekend, UK cards, sometimes, you know, big fight coming out of Japan. And you have sort of these, like, split fan bases. Like, this weekend, this was really the only card... It just worked out that way. So you had, you know, if you have people who are top rank shills and there's a PVC card on Showtime, well, they don't really have anything positive to say about it. They're gonna say negative stuff. And the same thing with the you know, the Dayson people. And it just seemed like there were you know, that it's kind of my assumption, maybe you have, you know, these different split fan bases with nothing to root for or occupy themselves. So they decided to just go with, you know, the negative slant on what was happening with the PVC stuff. But, you know. Like I said, I, I don't really need to uh address that any more than uh than you know, we have already.
0: Yeah. Um so you know, where does Danny Garcia go from here? Obviously he wants Spence or Pacquiao and I highly doubt that um they would have had him match up with Bredkak if he indeed was not gonna be facing a Southpaw next. So what do you think? What do you think is the better move for him?
1: uh, The better move for him? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, let's break this down. Um, There are two pay-per-view A-sides with the BBC at 147. And the one who is, you know, the biggest in terms of money, probably also less in uh, risk, is Manny Pacquiao. So there's no question. I mean, Manny Pacquiao is the one anyone would want to fight. Yeah. Second to that, Errol Spence. He's the other pay-per-view A side at 147. Danny Garcia has also said he wants that fight. They're not going to sit back and wait. Uh, they, You know, it's like, who knows what's happening with Pacquiao? He controls his destiny. They're not going to sit back and wait for that fight. If the Errol Spence fight is offered to them, they'll take it. Um, Angel Garcia was very clear about that. Give us the contract. We'll sign it. So it seems like almost certainly... Danny Garcia is going to be in a pay-per-view in his next fight. The only thing that could prevent that from happening is if Errol Spence and Manny Pacquiao fight each other. Um, They've been sort of tossing around, well, if that happens, maybe he'd fight Keith Thurman. I don't think that's realistic. I think the next time Danny Garcia fights, he's going to be a pay-per-view B-side to Errol Spence, Manny Pacquiao next or the winner or loser of that fight.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's where I was going. Is like, I could see Pacquiao and Spence fighting each other late spring, early summer, and then they return in the fall against Danny Garcia and Danny Garcia just says, I'm okay waiting until then, because you know, if we assume that Danny Garcia is going to fight twice a year, well then it's most likely going to be at the later end of the year um if he were to fight anytime soon then we putting him on a schedule of three fights a year which i don't really see happening um and especially because like it, he's up you know what we're seeing what they're doing at PBC is everyone's getting a turn at being in the top spot and it looks like it's his turn to to get up there and fight either Spence or Pacquiao um but i i i don't know and i've said this for a while i think Spence and Pacquiao are going to fight next I don't yeah, I, I you, wanted to make sure to, to underline that
1: because, you know, just in case anyone is missing that, you have made it very clear you think that's, you know, you've called the shot. That's the fight you think is happening next.
0: I mean, I called it how long ago? Was it a long yeah, time yeah, ago? I, I don't remember.
1: You've you said it early and often. It's just just so people just, know yeah. to,
0: like, you know, if they, they want to at me about this, you know, just so you know. I just want to make it easy for them. Yeah. Um. But I, I I I think that fight is next. And to me, it's logical like you don't know what you have with Spence. Um, we all want to believe that he's going to be completely fine. That that was a you know a miracle from from the heavens, and he's going to come back and, and continue on with an, an illustrious and legendary career, um, and get us to the ultimate showdown in boxing, which we're you know we're all building towards. We're on a collision course with Spence and Crawford fighting, and um, but we don't know what we have with them. It is possible that that fight may never happen because the the Spence that we see in his next fight may not be the same guy. And then you take Manny Pacquiao uh into into the mix and it's like, well Pacquiao at the you know, he's aging. He didn't look good at the end of the, the Thurman fight. I mean, he won the fight, but late in that fight, it's not like Pacquiao had a 12-0 shutout like he was fighting Timothy Bradley. Uh Manny Pacquiao really started to struggle in that fight with Thurman. And so it leads me to believe like you know, you have two question marks and Manny Pacquiao and Errol Spence. Well, you might as well, you know, put them in there together. And whoever has the most left, you know, then you run that guy through Danny Garcia and maybe Sean Porter again or something like that. Um, you know, I, I would assume that we should probably talk about Terrence Crawford here, but I think I already mentioned him a little bit. Um... He's not fighting Danny Garcia. Let's just put it that way. He's not, it's not happening for a plethora of reasons. Danny Garcia versus Errol Spence, or sorry, um Terrence Crawford is not a big enough fight to bring two networks together. So that's not happening. Um I don't think Aram is willing to put up the money for a Danny Garcia fight. I don't think it's worth paying that much money if the guy has a possibility of winning. Amir Khan had no possibility of winning that fight. It was worth the five million dollars. But
1: was it <laughs> I don't know, maybe he thought that going in, or that was uh, yeah, not to do. I no, always like I look, to look at your point So I'm going to kind of hij- hijack your, your take here. But yeah, it's like, I don't know, I don't want to turn this into the shit on Terrence Crawford party. But at the end of the day, like, Aram is kind of a paper tiger. For all the matchups they say they want to make, Terrence Crawford just isn't a big enough draw. You know, when I said there are two pay-per-view A-sides at 147, it's, it's Errol Spence and... Uh, uh, Errol Spence and Manny Pacquiao like it is not Terrence Crawford you know you don't do 50,000 buys against Victor Postal and 125,000 buys against Amir Khan two, two promotions that lose money and then you know presume that you know s- somehow there's going to be a fight where Terrence Crawford and Danny Garcia get paid 10 million dollars to fight each other you know it's just like the economics doesn't add up The PBC guys can make more money on the, you know, for all the talk of the different sides of the street. I mean, the biggest factor is the PBC guys can make more money fighting PBC fighters than fighting Terrence Crawford. You know, he's arguably the, you know, it's like Danny Garcia fought last night against Ivan Redcatch and there were 8000 people there. It was a great crowd. Um, Terrence Crawford is maybe a marginally bigger star than Danny Garcia. You know,
0: that is a hot take.
1: It, it uh, well, really well, isn't. I, should, I, mean, I, should think, really... I
0: shouldn't take it back. It's not a hot take in the sense that you're like just talking some nonsense. It's a hot take in that more it's a controversial one because I think there are a lot of people who, regardless of whether that is true or not, are just not gonna like that, whether because they well probably because they think it's it's completely false.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like people, you know he could sell they're...
0: fourteen thousand tickets in, in, in Omaha. I just want to let you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, there's a logical fallacy that Terrence Crawford is good, and he is good, uh, and he's one of Top Rank's top stars, so therefore he has to be a mega star in a big draw. And it's like, no, not really. You know, he's good, but his ability to draw is not commensurate with his ability as a boxer. And, you know, Top Rank's table is quite thin in terms of their box office draws. He's one of their bigger stars, but that doesn't make him a huge economic factor. And, you know, again, it's like Sean Porter about the level of a draw as Terrence Crawford. So it was Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman, I would very, you know, with I have no problem putting him above Terrence Crawford in the draw department. Mm. And, um, you know, Danny Garcia about the same level, probably probably a little bit less, but about the same level as Terrence Crawford and uh, Spence and Pacquiao clearly way above. So it just, you know, the economics doesn't make sense there, you know. Top Rank isn't flushing money down the toilet like Dozone. It just that you know the 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 economy of Top Rank is extremely different.
0: Well, are they? We'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, all I, right, I let's feel talk like about,
1: we're all over the place here. Yeah,
0: it's okay. We'll talk. I mean, we kind of touched on a lot of things, but what did you think about Jared Hurd, the new and improved Jared Hurd?
1: Jared Hurd. Um, oh, you know what? Well, I, actually, I need let me to frame say my last... question this way.
0: Sure. Um, one
1: second, let me let me just finish on Danny Garcia. I need to just say one thing very quickly, very quickly. Yeah, there. there look, there's uh, an 800 pound gorilla in the room we haven't addressed. Ivan catch. Like, w- what was the quality of him as a fighter? I'll just speak about that very quickly. He's fought mostly at lightweight. Had some losses earlier in his career. Had a you know really spectacular knockout of Devin Alexander in his last fight at 147 that had Ray uh, <laughs> Ray Mancini doing backflips. Um, I think at the end of the day, you could, this is how we should evaluate. He had been a, a high prospect at the start of his career, didn't super pan out. 135 was probably more than he should have been cutting. And now he's built a nice bit of business for himself at 147. His next, you know, He is now has a highlight reel knockout over Devin Alexander. He went the distance with Danny Garcia. He's now a serviceable B-side against you know, a guy like Jose Cito Lopez, Ugas, Lipinets, um you know someone of the pbc top stars someone might need you know uh a recovery fight after a loss if sean porter wants another fight um outside of the pay-per-view circle if he wants to you know headline a pbc on fox uh card red catch could be the opponent you know it's like he is a guy i think of a guy like Josecito lopez who are you know had enough losses early on that it you know people just completely wrote him off but he had a very good fight against Thurman had another win on a pay-per-view undercard you know and he's kind of back in the mix i think uh red catch has kept himself in the picture and that's you know just another factor that is, shouldn't really be ignored anyway but yeah, one to move thing
0: on. that that i took from it is like he he filled out very nicely for a lightweight you know or for a guy who was fighting at lightweight he does look like you know that's what it looks like um when you're fighting in a division that you shouldn't be in you come up and you look pretty you look you look good you know I've seen welterweights look worse than than red cack did in terms of like filling out and being an actual welterweight in the ring so yeah
1: I yeah yeah I'll just like yeah I that that was the point I was trying to make that I I think people are going to think of him not as a blown up lightweight and as a guy who filled into welterweight nicely and was probably cutting too much weight before then anyway yeah very much ready to move on
0: all right so what do you think about Jared Hurd like the one thing I wonder is like so I'm sitting at home and I'm like, I don't think Jarrett Hurd is loading up on shots. I think he did it in maybe three rounds where he was actually throwing hard punches. But it felt to me like Jarrett Hurd was throwing arm punches for most of the fight. And, and, and given he was trying to box, um, but it didn't seem like he was really throwing with any sort of conviction for most of the fight. Like you were ringside, so you'd have a good read on that stuff. Like, um, d- did you get that sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would frame it slightly differently. Like, so I, I'm curious also to hear what the commentary said about this one. But he look, heard said during the promotion that he wanted a box. He's got a new trainer. He's been in too many wars. He wants to try to box. He doesn't want to get hit that much. And he came out and he boxed. You know, he fought off the back foot. He was fighting a guy. He had heightened reach advantage over his opponent. And he was backing up. It seemed like if he did move forward and was willing to fight in his style, he could just steamroll Santana. But he didn't want to do that. You know, uh, it seemed like kind of a a learning on the job type of performance, which, you know, (laughs) you can argue whether or not Showtime should have televised that. But that seemed like what he was going for, Uh, you know, really just trying to hit and not get hit and not worry about, as you said, loading up. Although he is a naturally heavy handed guy. I mean, his hits were definitely landing um you know i was surprised you didn't get the stoppage as well uh but i don't know i mean i just i have a different takeaway i mean did you want to say more should i get into my main take oh
0: you can get into your main take and i'll probably tell you why you're wrong
1: (laughs) sure sure the main thing i thought about while i was watching him is like when fighters get to the world class level it's because they're good at they're the best at what they do the way they, you know, they're among the best at what they do the way mm-hmm. they do it. And what I mean by that is, you know, like think of uh, baseball players, almost every professional baseball player in high school, or especially even younger than that, unless they go to a super competitive high school, is going to be the best in their high school at like every position. You know, they can, um, you know, there's some exceptions, but, you know, uh, they, they probably could Pitch if they needed to they could play outfield They could play any of the the base Positions you know and they're probably an excellent Hitter even you know someone who's going to go on to Be a major league pitcher might not even Pitch depending on what league they're in Uh, Might not even hit depending on what their league They're in but they're probably a dominant hitter At at the high school level but the thing is once You reach you know the world-class level You need to specialize and that's what's Allowing you know you're that good in That specialty and You know herd Is a world-class boxer when he does what he does, which is to fight, again, to to, to use this description, as a a steamroller. You know, he goes in there, he's willing to get hit, but he can mow guys down. You know, he was too durable for Tony Harrison, mowed him over, Austin Trout mowed him over, won a war of attrition against Erislandi Lara, didn't knock him out, but knocked him down in the 12th round. You know, really outside of the the J-Rock fight, that kind of seemed like what he could do. And the J-Rock fight, you know, that... If you're fighting that way just purely on self-belief that you're going to get hit but you're going to come out on top and then you fight the J-Rock fight and that doesn't happen, you know, that can really shake a fighter's sense of identity. And, you know, there, there was – you know, I was really wondering what was he going to do in this fight. And what I saw was a fighter trying to fight outside of his own style, probably not at the world-class level. I don't think he's a world-class, you know, boxer, not another description of, you know. But you know, yeah, in terms of his his ability to hit and move, hit and not get hit, I don't think that's his style. And um, I don't think you know he didn't have that much of an amateur background, so he might have more room to learn than other fighters uh, for his age. But I I I just it, it seems like we're we kind of saw a mistake in action. Like he's trying to change his style too much, and he wasn't that good at it.
0: Um. I have a different take. I I actually really enjoyed this fight, and I'll tell you why. You know, I'm I'm not like a glutton or anything like that, but I I really enjoyed this because it didn't seem to me like Hurd was trying to change his style. Um, and the reason why I say that is because his style varied throughout the fight. Like he did a bunch of different things uh, in the fight. And um, what how I took it is like he's trying to improve his defensive instinct. He's trying to improve his defense and skills altogether in a fight because when he gets into you know a fight with a far better opponent, he's gonna need that. And you know, it's weird because like you said it perfectly, the war with the 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 fight with Lara was a war of attrition. I would disagree with, with, with to the extent that like it wasn't just the fight with Lara, it was the fight with Trout, the fight with Harrison. Hurd's been in plenty of fights, and you know what people talked about after the fight? The fact that Jared Hurd has no defense. That this guy fights like Homer Simpson. He walks forward, lets punches hit him in the face, and then he bullies guys because of his size, and then gets wins. And you saw, over the course of his career, the gap in in, in which, um, or the period in which... He was getting beat up, and then he came back, got uh, got longer and longer and longer. Go do the research. Tony Harrison, Harrison was in control, then Hurd took over. Next fight, uh, Austin Trout. Austin Trout was in control far longer, okay? Then he gets stopped by Hurd. Then, Arizona DeLaura, same thing. Laura was in control, a little bit longer. Beat him up a little bit worse. Then Hurd comes back. And then you have Julian Williams, who finally was the guy to crack Jarrett Hurd. And it's like, here's the thing. Jarrett Hurd, I'm sorry to say this, has not been and still probably isn't that good. And I don't know where people get off thinking that Jarrett Hurd is like some great fighter. Is he a great inside fighter? Hell no. How do I know? Because Julian Williams was able to beat him pretty easily, I might add. Jarrett Hurd is trying to improve. And you, you know, you said it perfectly. Should this fight have been on Showtime? I'm not going to go so far as as to say that because for whatever, you know, for whatever it's worth, Jarrett Jarrett Hurd is a popular guy. Jarrett Hurd is a guy who you would expect all of his fights to be on TV in some capacity. This was not the headline. So it's not like this. They they wasted an entire card, you know, the majority of what they paid on a card for this fight. But I... I'm okay with seeing Jared Hurd try to reinvent himself. The the problem I had because I did have a problem with something. So you know I said all that nice stuff to say this. The problem that I had is that while I do appreciate the the focus on improving the defensive skill and the d- defensive instincts, the defensive reactions and the the, it, the effort in establishing a, a jab, um, some modicum of a jab for Jared Hurd, What I have a problem with is that I want to see Jarrett Hurd just improve himself as an inside fighter. Because you said it. People, like athletes, many athletes, they are the best at whatever level that they're at. Like, and they have something that has them be the best. So, like, in the MLB, some guys, like, they're really good at pitchers. Well, guess what? They're They're good at pitching, so they're pitchers. You know, everyone's got some tool that they have that they like that's their thing and that's gotten them to the level that they're at. Well, you know what Jared Hurd what's gotten him to this to this point is that he's been a decent inside fighter, not great, but a decent well and that seems to be where he's he's at his best, where he can use his size, his physicality to bully guys and exert his will. Well, why don't we see a reinvention of that? Why don't we see him um you know get in there how bring Roberto Duran in there, bring someone who's ex- an expert at fighting on the inside to advise him and to teach him some things to be a better inside fighter. Because you're asking a zebra to change his stripes. Jarrett Hurd, I I don't see, it's it's I, in my lifetime, I have not seen a fighter completely change their style. And the, the, the biggest change that I could see is Jarrett Hurd going from whatever the hell he is previously to... To a guy who can box and circle and do things like that, it is just the the farthest change that I can imagine. So, to me, it would make sense if Jared Heard went on to try to develop himself into a, a more effective inside fighter versus something that is completely not his, you know, in his in his instinct as a fighter, because it doesn't appear that boxing on the outside is an instinct to him. So anything you want to respond to there? Any questions you have?
1: Yeah, I, look, I think what you're saying is you're really at the heart of it is you know, was this a fighter who lost his identity and is having an identity crisis as a fighter or is this a fighter who's trying to add dimensions to his game? And you know, the reason why I really see more of the identity crisis thing is he wasn't able to get the stoppage. Um, You know, I know I just sort of defended Danny Garcia to some extent. I mean, I just I view Santana as being a level lower even than that. And the old herd, it just feels like he would have been able to walk through Santana. Um, You know, he boxed early, but then I kept expecting he was going to flip the switch and say, okay, I boxed this much time to just step in there and take him out. And, you know, that really didn't happen until the final round when he got the, I, the,
0: the The fourth and fifth round, it looked like the old Jarrett Hurd was coming back. And we have to consider, did his corner tell him, what are you doing? What, this is not what we're working on? Or did Jarrett Hurd remind himself, oh, yeah, I'm trying to box? Or did Jarrett Hurd, like, you know, say, I don't like what's coming back at me. And this is how I, I lost to Julian Williams. So why don't I go back to the other style? Because, you know, he started to have flashbacks. Yeah. Well.
1: Anyway, I have spoken. That's all I have to say about that.
0: Um, but ultimately, I thought it was a really interesting fight. I mean, I, I thought it was it was interesting to watch Jared Hurd. Um, you know, you could see the thinking. You could see the, um, the the wheels turning in his head on how he's supposed to be circling, how he's going to box on the outside, all of this stuff. And it, it was interesting to see. Um, we don't typically see fighters do this, where they come out after a loss and try to try to. Um, ch- fix their mistakes. I mean, how many times have we seen guys with three or four losses come out and it's like, wow, this is just the same guy. He's just, you know, trying harder at what he did before. And then yeah, it's I no just, surprise that they wind up with a bunch of losses. I really just,
1: I mean, to me, and maybe this is partly informed by the the perception I got in person. It, it really just seemed like he wasn't doing it at a high enough level. You know, it's like, I could see him oh, boxing, no, no doubt, but he just wasn't, he just didn't win me over.
0: With no that. doubt. Jared, Jared Hurd didn't do anything effective or, he was not super effective at anything he did. Um he didn't he didn't look great jabbing, he didn't look great circling, um, didn't look great on the inside. Um defensively he didn't look great. Senta- I mean, but was it good enough? D- do did I see enough to not sell all of my shares in Jarrett Hurd? Yeah, it was all right. It was okay. I'm not i I'm not saying that Jarrett Hurd is gonna go and lose a Jaime Munguia or someone like that. Well, and by the way, here's, here's, the, here's the bigger point I want to make about Jared Hurd. The final point about Jared Hurd is going forward, based off of what I've seen in, in Jared Hurd's past as well as in this fight, the thing to me is that it's unimportant to analyze whether his defense is good, whether his offense is good, whether his chin is good, et cetera. Et cetera. I would toss all of that out the window because what it's going to come down to when you think about Jared Hurd is that he is a matchup fighter. He is a guy that is going to look spectacular in some fights, and he's going to look like an absolute jabroni in others. He's a guy that, if you get him in there with the right guy, Jarrett Hurd is going to look like a world class monster. And there are other guys, guys like with some skills like Julian Williams, that are going to make him pay. You know, that that's just the way Jared Hurt is he's built with the uh, a physicality is the size and a style that I think it's just going to come down to matchups with Jared heard. And that's fine because these guys, you know, the matchup guys, usually you match them, right? You get good fights. Well, I think that's what we're going to see with Jared heard going forward. You know, is the Jermel Charlo fight a great matchup for him? I don't know. Is it a great matchup for us is the question. And I think that's, that is absolutely 100% going to be a great fight if he fights Jermel Charlo. Um, is, is he going to make a great fight with Jason Rosario? Probably. I think that's going to be a really good fight. Um could, Tony Harrison, I don't think that would be a good fight. I think Tony Harrison would second time around, Tony Harrison would would school him. Assuming Tony Harrison uh is the same guy we saw Boy,
1: that's a bold statement. on the specific date and time.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, you think I got a problem with saying that? No. You want to you you got a problem with that? You, you, my Twitter, you know it. Get in the chat, we'll talk about it. But I think if they rematch, Tony Harrison wins that fight. He'll just outbox him. I don't. I don't, I don't I think there are a lot of questions about Tony Harrison too. If he don't, if he don't gas, okay. If he, if he can move for twelve rounds, Jared Herd doesn't have a chance. Wow. Jared Hurd is is just a slow moving train that we've seen. But think about it. If Jared Hurd tries to outbox Tony Harrison, do you really think he's going to outbox Tony Harrison? Tony Harrison was outboxing Jermell Charlo. Jared Hurt don't have anywhere close to the skills of Jermel Charlo.
1: I mean these are all fun matchups. That's about as much as I have to say about it. No, right but now.
0: that's the right take. That's how you that's how you you finish this is like all these matchups that you're saying, you can you can pick whoever you want. Whoever you want. But at the end of the day, they are probably going to be good fights. Brian Cassano, I love that fight. I think that's a fight of the year contender right there. Oh my god, Hurd and
1: Brian Cassano. Ooh. I forgot about that for the news and notes, but uh, yeah, look, I I just, I'm not uh, dismissing this because I think you're, what you're saying is boring. I just don't want to, look, I could spend all night arguing about which 154 pounders they're going to beat, which 150, you know, who's going to beat who. Uh, I just don't want to bog this down anymore. I mean, I I feel like that's as much that needs to be said based on what Hurt did last night.
0: Yeah. So um, let's move on. Um, Stephen Fulton. Oh, no.
1: no. Last note, I'm just going to say the same thing I did with uh, Santana really a welterweight, again, just another welterweight in the PBC mix, another guy who can be a a B-side. You know, he now, again, went the distance with her. There's a silver lining. Now you have another guy who's, you know, again, opponent, do a Lipanets fight, do an Ugas fight, one of those lower-level fights, or one of the top guys. I'll give you his next move. Up after a loss. Thurman, if his recovery ends up being worse than we thought, you've got an opponent. You know, anyway, go on. What's his next move?
0: Terrell Gachet.
1: Um, you think he's going to stay at 154 though?
0: Yeah, he he looked solid for 154. He took Jared Hurd shots. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. He's got some cachet there, but um, I mean, like, you think he wants to get down to 147? I don't think so. It's like, look, if I can fight at 154, I took the shots from Jared Hurd. I'm not trying to kill myself to lose 147. I'm yeah. I, like, same I don't time as a guy that knows he's never winning a title. Uh,
1: two two full weight classes, plenty of fighters, and plenty of fighters means you need plenty of opponents. So I mean. He's going to be making some more money here.
0: Um, okay, moving on. Uh, Stephen Fulton. Um, let's let's do this. How, how did, what did you think of Stephen Fulton before the fight, and what do you think of him now? I
1: thought it was a really good performance. Um, he he definitely uh, his stock went up in my book, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I was surprised. In the, I was sort of checking the Discord periodically throughout the night, and I saw a lot of negative comments about him. So I'm sort of, I mean, I really have nothing. Uh, most of them positive most things were from say. me. Yeah, I mean, I'm kidding.
0: He was, <laughs> Some of them
1: are. <laughs> we'll get into it, but he was facing by far the hardest competition of his career. He went 12. I thought he, for the most part, dominated. He showed a lot of places where he needs to improve. And look. He honestly wasn't even on my radar screen before his last fight. After that, it was like, oh, this kid could be something. And now it looks like he's going to fight, you know, be a guy who can fight on the world-class level. And when I say that, I don't mean necessarily that he's the next Floyd Mayweather. Maybe he's, like, next guy on the level of, like, Lamont Peterson, who, you know, wins a belt and kind of fights around the world title level, but isn't a huge star. You know, we don't really know what his ceiling is, but, I mean... After last night, I feel confident that he's going to be a guy who's going to be in some version of the world world title picture throughout his career. He, 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 I, you know, that's a lot to tell just from a few fights. But, um, you know, if you, if you look at the way that he's been matched, the confidence his handlers seem to have in him, um, the performances he has shown, um, I think that that's where I am with him right now. I don't know the ceiling, but it looks like he's going to be around that level, and that's pretty cool.
0: Um, so coming into the fight, I thought Stephen Fulton was not that great. Um, wasn't impressed by him. I'd never seen anything from him that led me to believe that he would ever be a world champion. Um, didn't think he had much power, some good skills, but not enough power to, um, really get guys respect. And what I'm left with from watching that fight yesterday was like, he still doesn't have the power at all to get respect but the dude is actually a pretty good boxer like I got to give it to him like I'm not going to sit here and say that Stephen Fulton is one of my top prospects I'm not going to sit here that Stephen Fulton is going to reign supreme uh in his division I'm not going to go that far but I was thoroughly surprised at the skill I saw from Stephen Fulton didn't expect it and um you know that was pretty cool I thought um i i was pretty cool to see that uh because again frequently in in boxing the it's more popular to be negative about things and to look for reasons to undermine to diminish whatever ha- your the case may be um and i was one of those people with stephen Fulton coming in and i i, I thought that he looked really good um, and like, I I'm thoroughly surprised and, and pleasantly surprised at, at his performance. Um, but I, you know, I, I will say, I don't, I'm, I'm still skeptical at him being a top guy in his division, but I could definitely see him getting a world title. Um, you know, any other notes that you have, uh, about Fulton? Did you mute yourself?
1: Yeah. One more quick comment you'd brought up Tiofimo Lopez, when he fought that Japanese guy. I feel horrible. I can't remember his name, but he fought it's, that. It's, it's
0: a hard one to remember. Masayoshi Nakatani. I have to, okay. like, remember and spell it in my head every time before I say his name.
1: Yeah, you're a better man than me. So, yeah, look, <laughs> there was That's a certain amount is. of negativity after that fight. But, like, I, I tried to just look at it very pragmatically and say, like, okay, look, he's 21 and he went 12 rounds and he had, you know, more um no i don't want to say adversity even but you know his fight was more difficult than he expected he didn't you know melt down and you know it's a learning experience He, he takes that into his next camp and um you know just with this fight it's like 12 round fight hardest opponent of his career he you know his opponent was extraordinarily dirty um his opponent was always trying to figure out what he could do differently to try to win rounds and, you know, he he got through that. Uh, Fulton definitely made some real mistakes. I mean, there were some moments in the fight where he was determined to fight off the ropes. And pretty much whenever he did that, it favored a guy. He seemed to even get hurt at one point. Yeah, um, I caught that. So, you know, but again, that's what these are the lessons fighters learn when they're coming up. I think Big point you raised is, you know, we still don't know about his power and his chin. And that was the reason why I mentioned Lamont Peterson specifically, because he's a guy who really had a lot of talent in his career, but never really had the world class power and also had a spotty chin. And, you know, those were the two main factors. You know, you need to have them or else you're not going to be a dominant champion. And, um Those seem to be the question marks around Fulton. I mean, that's the other thing. Fulton is not really, uh, I mean, he's not young by any measure. You know, he's 25, which is like, um, you know, it's not crazy old or anything. He still definitely has a good chance of having a solid career. But, like, if he were, like, 18 or 19, like, you know, I'll forgive a lot more in, like, a Joey Spencer fight because he hasn't developed physically. But Fulton, this is probably about as much power as he's ever going to have. You know, especially if he goes up to featherweight, or, you know, if and when he does, that's gonna be even less so. So um yeah, I, I, I think you're you're focusing the attention on the right thing by saying that. And, you know, it remains to be seen. That said, not everyone at one twenty two is a knockout puncher. So that, you know, that well, that's the thing. might not one, be his identity.
0: So one twenty two is a division that is starting to, you know, slowly but surely, you know, you consider the guys fighting over uh, you know they're gonna fight Thursday. Daniel Roman and um dude whose name I'm not even gonna to try to pronounce because I can't spell it, so therefore can't well, announce Max it. Max Kellerman
1: called him the next Duran. Um, okay, I I don't so give a shit about what Max
0: says, so you can not um say what he whatever he said because he <laughs> he knows nothing about boxing at this point in time. Um, can't can't Man, have a boxing. burying Max, Jesus. The, the, the you can tell how much a person knows about boxing. Um, in terms of like, do they know what they're talking about is, um, how many times do they need to bring up, uh, a boxer from the seventies that tells you that that person don't know what they're talking about. Um, and that's Max Kellerman. So anyway, but you look at the guys, you know, um, Ramon, his opponent, it's not Abduliev, is it? I don't know.
1: Akvedaliev. It's actually not that hard. Okay, if you get well, the syllables.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember. I, I know how to spell it now. Um, So then you have these two guys. You have Fulton. You have Ray Vargas. You have Brandon Figueroa. um, You have Guillermo. Actually, Rigondo's going down. Um, But anyway.
1: He could be back on a moment's notice.
0: Right. But like, so like, there's a lot of guys now who, like, the division is slowly becoming interesting. The one caveat who's got power? Answer me that question. Which guy has power? Well,. We're going to get a lot of, like, just, it's like... relative to who you're fighting. Navarrete's been knocking out the, horrible
1: fighters. Oh, I you know, forgot about Dog Navrette, Bay was yeah. knocking out horrible fighters. You know, given well, match... Dog Bay's done.
0: Him. He is done. Not even in this conversation. I didn't bring him up for a reason.
1: Well, I think he's actually going to featherweight as well, but... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, not about Rete that. scored a sensational knockout in his last fight against an undefeated... It's all, it's all a matter of matchmaking. But anyway, go on.
0: The one thing about 122, at least I'll give, is that um, there are starting to be a. As I say this, I'm also thinking that what I'm saying is ridiculous. Okay, but like, there's a lot of guys now who are who've got names, who are interesting fighters, and um, you know, there are matchups to be had. There are reasons to be excited about 122, Um, and given in a way is at 118, It's it's. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to think that he could be somebody also in the mix at 122, possibly making a big match with um, uh, Emmanuel Navarrete. Now, the question does beg, and it needs to be asked of, how big are these fights really? I don't know. Um, we also should mention Luis Neri, possibly, uh, you know, he's at 118, it's not impossible to imagine that he could be at 122 at some point in time. So, um, I don't know. I'm 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 happy with one twenty two. I know that, you know, there are a lot of people that uh don't pay much attention to it. History tells me that the ratings aren't good at all for one twenty two. So, um, you know, I'm I, I'm happy with the division and I and I like where it's going. Um but, you know, it, it's it's tough to get too excited because it's not like these guys are ever going to headline a pay-per-view
1: yeah I, I I'm really just interested to see how it shakes out over the next because the PBC is really stockpiling guy I don't remember if we reported that on the podcast or not but uh, Ray Vargas was announced as uh, signing with the PBC yeah um top rank is making a big deal about in a way signing with them they're doing a fight in Las Vegas which you know I, I've said I feel like is more about that fight at least is about top rank getting a deal with a casino to bring in Japanese fans. Um, We'll see how that plays out as time goes on. But, you know, he's probably going to end up at 122 eventually. There's Navarrete, who's probably going to move up to featherweight. So it's like it's going to be interesting to see what the division looks like in a year, especially since this is kind of lighter than the PBC has traditionally showcased. Like we've seen 122 pounders on their FS1 cards and uh on their like pay-per-view undercards you know it's like an, and more of their undercards but it hasn't really been a heavy focus as you said it's unlikely this will ever lead to like pay-per-view level fights so i don't know it, i i've sort of thought about it it could become kind of like the main events of their fs1 cards and they use that to develop under their fighters under their undercards like just interested to see how it shakes out because i mean you know you've uh Brandon Figueroa, high profile, undefeated Fulton, you know, gaining a profile, undefeated, um, you know, just a bunch of other guys in the mix. Like, you know, again, Neary could really be the real – I mean, that 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 could be the real trick, that it could just – this could end up being the the way to build Neary into a big star, you know, with a slate of uh, opponents that are starting to gain some shine. So
0: we'll see. I remember like a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I had like – I don't know if I had written it or I had sent it on a podcast – um, that they were quietly amassing a bunch of 122-pound talent. And, you know, we're seeing the fruits of that labor. And, um, you know, they, it's not like they haven't tried the lighter weight classes. You know, Rashi Warren, they tried with Rashi Warren. Did not quite work out because Rashi Warren just wasn't that good. But it's I, I think the best thing you can do with these smaller weight class fighters is they're great co-main events. Like, you can put... You know these guys as the co-main event of, of a card, whether that be a Fox card or a pay-per-view, and it, it it like it gives a you a title fight, it gives you a prestigious fight that you have on the undercard. I think that really works in terms of like quote unquote stacking up a card. Like you know you just look at the 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 Andrade and Luke Keeler fight this week, where you have a pretty good undercard because you have two lighter weight class title fights that you know, bolster up what is a complete and, and a complete mismatch in the main event in Andrade and Keeler and then a pretty pathetic YouTube fight, which, you know, is glorified white collar boxing. But the fight the you know, people are excited about the card because you have two good fights, like um the Roman and the Akhmedlyov fight and then the um uh farmer and uh Jojo Diaz fight. So that's that's what I yeah, think the best use cases for these fights because <laughs> history tells us uh, and, and until otherwise I'm going to assume that this is the truth that these guys can't draw on their own that the the the, the pool for lighter weight class fights um although people think that it's big is just really not there whatsoever uh amongst casual boxing fans at least that we've seen thus far.
1: Yeah, I'm actually I just want to rebut that very quickly. Brandon Figueroa brought a quite a good crowd on uh, his FS1 headlining show earlier, this, or actually it was last year, excuse me, and uh, Stephen Fulton actually had a, a huge amount of fans at the Barclays Center. Who? So,
0: excuse me? St- who did you say, Stephen Fulton? Yeah. Yeah, that that came through the TV. I thought that was kind of weird, um, I because obviously I'm not from the East Coast, so I'm not super familiar with Fulton, um, but he, it, like, it sounded loud during his fight.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it was it was a good fight. I mean, the crowd was into it. Again, I don't really know what the the reaction online was, but I was totally into it watching it. Um, There were ebbs and flows. Time hard to tell, you know, where the fight would end up. So, um, yeah, I mean, he had fans. The crowd got into it because it was a good fight. You know, it was just a good bit of business. You know, I think just like I said, I don't really need to repeat everything you said, but yeah, that's a great point about pairing and having them as sort of enhancement fights. I mean, we've talked about that before related to what Roman Gonzalez did on the Golovkin cards and, um, you know, talk about that with Neary has been out a bunch of the PBC pay-per-views. that were supposed to be, you know, he had the one fight fall through, but, um, you know, you could definitely see more of the 122 pounders, you know again we always talk about the pitfalls of tournaments i like tournaments more than some of the other sunday puncher guys but this is why you don't do a tournament because you can just kind of have you know a sort of informal just just continue to have the guys face each other it doesn't need to have a tournament structure just you've got a bunch of talent at 122 keep having them face each other and see what comes out of that sort of like what they're doing at 154
0: yeah so um yeah so that was the the showtime card the 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 thing about this card is, I think the ratings will not be very good. Um, you just didn't have enough star power. Um, there weren't any intriguing matchups that could convince casuals to do something else, uh, or to cancel plans and stay home and watch boxing. Um, and that's fine. You know, one thing that is just bound to happen is like, you know, all this boxing on TV, people have to go out sometime and they're going to have to pick and choose when they're going to stay home and watch boxing. And, um, I don't think that this fight uh, was that great. So, um, or the card altogether was that great on paper in terms of intriguing matchups. So, let's talk about the Wilder Fury promotion. Um, I don't care too much about the press conferences and all that stuff. What I'm interested in, what do you think about that undercard? We got another fight announced for it. PBC versus top rank Sebastian fundura versus Daniel Lewis. What do you know about uh Daniel Lewis?
1: <laughs> I believe he was an Olympian, something like six 0 Australian. It's definitely a head scratcher. <laughs> I, I don't know i that one really has me wondering if top rank uh you know if they're smart if they're uh they have their matchmakers working overdrive thinking they could pick fundura off. Uh, or if it's just as bad of a fight as it kind of looks like on paper.
0: Really? You think this looks bad on paper? You must think very highly I, of Sebastian Fundora.
1: I enjoy Fundura quite a bit.
0: Sebastian is um, not good.
1: Oh, boy. Uh, those are fighting words. Look, Sebastian Fundura, one of the best <laughs> Instagram follows as far as a meme fighter. Uh, he's a big fan of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. He plays that on his Instagram channel. You know, you have the freak show element people always talk about. Yeah, anyway, but... I love um, Fundora,
0: by the way, but I- I'm not going to sit here and uh, and try to front on you guys. Like, Sebastian Fundora, I cannot see his style translating. Um, he, he has no defense. Let's just put it that way. He has no defense. you have seen this guy wobbled, seen him get hit clean against far lesser fighters than... Um,
1: I have never seen him get wobbled. I have seen him get hit. Dude, clean,
0: he was fighting it. on FS1. Jamal Charles on commentary laughing at him get beat up on the ropes. That's
1: fake news. No, look I remember it up. that fight. Look it up. I remember that fight, but didn't look good. Uh, boy, he's, let's talk about this. He's let's,
0: developed. <laughs> pretty well since then you know i'm not gonna say sebastian Fundora d- does not deserve at one point in time to be a uh, fight challenge for a world champion i think he will get himself into position to do that but i don't think that he's like gonna be at the top sebastian Fundora, as much as he's a freak show and, and i enjoy watching him and i think you know he's he's a funny guy and he's an every every man kind of guy on as you you know explain on social media um I don't think he's got the skills um to to compete at at that top level. Now Daniel Lewis is an interesting one cuz I don't think he's that good either. Being being uh you know 6 and 0 guy who competed at the 2016 games uh kind of says something and and you know what it says? Uh maybe Daniel Lewis has some uh extracurricular activities uh in addition to boxing.
1: I honestly don't even know what you're insinuating.
0: You, but uh I mean you have a sense of it and probably you listener do too, and I'm not gonna get into it. You you should just Google it yourself. <laughs> sure.
1: Um yeah, I mean as far as the whole undercard, it's pretty weak. I think that's what we were talking about before. And
0: Emmanuel Navarette versus, you know, someone you never heard of. Yeah, another uh, no name guy Martin and, 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 and Gerald Washington it?
1: writers will praise him for his activity. I mean it's all kind of stupid. Um yeah, look, I don't know, we can get into really the the details but the broad picture is it's a disappointing undercard fundura is fun i'll look forward to him
0: i'll is have it to research
1: lewis I, it is, is it disappointing why is it
0: disappointing i think i think that's crazy i think you're well, absolutely crazy if you think this is a disappointing undercard
1: i guess it's all a matter of comparison but i mean i'm i'm gonna spend the whole evening watching that fight card you know this isn't one you're gonna dvr you're buying the paper you're gonna sit and watch the whole thing and you know I, I always just, <laughs> it's a quality of life thing, I'm wanting a better undercard. I, you know, there's a business argument for whether or not it matters, but um, me personally as a fight fan, it makes a big difference for me. Um, I definitely can't, you know, it's like to the business point, I can't point to a pay-per-view that I bought because of the undercard. I just, <laughs> I always appreciate it. Like I think of um, some of the PBC cards last year. Again, I know I'm the PBC show, but I feel like overall they had, Pretty nice undercards. David Benavides, Luis Neary, bunch of good welterweight fights.
0: Benavides was in what? One and a half squash matches? Um
1: yeah, but I like you know, that was that was enough. Again, it's like, what are they giving me? It that was enough. You know, this I, I, this to me is less than these aren't fights that I would watch otherwise.
0: Okay. So there's zero incentive for these guys to put on a good undercard. History tells us that the undercards don't truly matter. Um, Especially when you have uh, a main event, a main event where that is going to, like, that is the selling point. You know, a fight like Spence Porter, I can understand you may want a a stronger undercard because you you may not be so familiar about buying Spence's pay per views and therefore this is going to help um, bring those people along. I get all of that, but there's no incentive here. And the history doesn't tell us, like, you should put on a good undercard um, when. HBO and Showtime got together for Mayweather Pacquiao. That undercard was completely abysmal. I believe um, Lomachenko and and Leo Santa Cruz, they were the ones that got the nod. Um, Both of them looked completely flat in their performances in terms of like, yeah, they won and dominated every single round. However, um, you were left, even though the main event was forgettable, not remembering anything significant that happened on that part of the undercard. And why was that? Well, because these guys didn't really do too much, um, they just kind of beat their guys and went went along with their day. So I think they're just the same uh, the same thing here. It's like you know gives people something to watch, but ultimately this is just passing time until we get to the main event. You know, because because then there's like people thinking. First of all, the fact that these you picked Emmanuel Navarrete, you picked Charles Martin and Sebastian Fondura and Daniel Lewis as your guys to put in the main of or sorry on the televised pay per view portion of the undercard leads me to believe that they know deep down that this pay-per-view will not do very well uh, um, in terms of buys now it'll do like you know four or five hundred thousand buys that you know that's good however it won't be as significant like they don't see this as a platform to create their next big star how do i know that because with mayweather pacquiao they put Two guys who were on, you know, on the rise to become those, you know, the names that they are today, in Vasily Lomachenko and Leo Santa Cruz. Well, this time around we got Charles Martin, Emmanuel Navarrete, a Bantam, super bantamweight. Come on now, that's 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 all I got to say about the undercard. I'm not impressed with yeah, it whatsoever. I, I, I but I just didn't you expect to be. Just touched
1: on a good point there, which is just. It looks like the purses are not going to be too high on this, which, yeah, does just possibly signal something as far as their confidence and how the card will do. But look, my grumble that it's not as good as I want it to be is more of just my grumble. I mean, as far as pay-per-view under cards go, this is pretty much par for the course. You know, it's like we have a world title fight in the Navarrete fight. Uh, you have a heavyweight showdown <laughs> with a former world champion, uh, Charles Martin. Uh former title challenger in Gerald Washington, and you have the prospect fight and the Navarat fight. So, you know, can't be surprised. I just personally am not looking forward to those fights.
0: All right, Andy Ruiz Jr., he splits with uh, Manny Robles, and then Steve Kim uh, decided that it would be well within his rights as a journalist to uh, display some modicum of integrity, and then he blamed it on Al Heyman. I got that right, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just pathetic from Steve Kim, but no one should be surprised about that.
0: Par for the course. But anyway, Andy Ruiz Jr. splitting from from Manny Robles. There there are some out there that think that this is a poor move on Ruiz's part because um, Ruiz, uh, you know, should have shown some loyalty to Manny Robles. And, uh, you know, Manny Robles did, after all, train him brought him back and got him into a world title fight that he ultimately won against Anthony Joshua. Do you agree with, with that take? I mean,
1: (laughs) I don't have a strong take. I mean, uh, sorry, I actually had my audio dip out. I'm trying to do my best to, um, play that off, but I, I honestly did not hear what you said. All I heard was, is that a strong take? Or?
0: I did not say that for the record. No, I was talking okay. about um, so Andy Ruiz leaving Manny Robles, and you know, people okay. thinking that he should not have left Robles, given that you know it was Robles who resurrected him, that um, trained him, and got him to, to into a position to ultimately beat Anthony Joshua. Are, are you? Are you? Uh, is is that where you? Is that? Is that? Is is that how you feel about this situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, just. My thought on the situation is Ruiz is not in a good place mentally. I mean, he had the world in his lap going to the second Joshua fight. And Look, I don't, you know, that's probably overstating it. I mean, he put on a fantastic performance in the first fight, you know, overperformed, I think you'd say, seemed to underperform in the second fight. Oh, seemed, seemed to be out of shape. Seemed. <laughs> you know, beyond his weight uh, issue, he... You know, there was well reported that he was not showing up in the gym, you know, made some kind of embarrassing comments after the fact. And, you know, I don't think Manny Robles is the problem. Uh, They seem to have a good working relationship before this. So to me, this is more of a sign of more drama in Ruiz's camp. I mean, we, we talked in the. I don't remember if it was the 2019 recap or the 2020 year ahead, but I think we were both pretty pessimistic about what at least the immediate future of Ruiz's career is going to look like, you know, unlikely we'll see him back in the ring recently, not really surprised. He's making bad decisions. Um, you know, just kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I mean, I, I am not one really to, to go too heavily on the the quote loyalty thing and he owes him that I, I, I think more fighters should be free to switch trainers when they need to develop. I think you see a lot of fighters really plateau with some trainers. I think you see some trainers get complacent. There's this sort of awkward relationship where a lot of trainers are sort of pseudo managers, but they aren't officially managers and don't get that cuts. So they're relying on the cut from their training fee, but you know they shouldn't. You know, some fighters have outgrown their trainers, so I'm, I'm not even hung up on that. I just think it says more to just disarray and. Andy Ruiz world.
0: You took an interesting uh a uh, little turn there. I didn't expect you to to um I, I, and I and I agree with you. I think it's a really good point. Like, you know, you you, you look at the person who does what he did and it it kind of leads you to believe like, okay, well, he, this dude must not be in a good place. Yeah. I think that's totally and look, we, we you know, you can expect this. Right? This this is not like out of the realm of possibility. Um, here, here's what, what I will say though, um, for those of you saying, well, he should stick with Manny Robles or anything like that. I actually don't mind him leaving Manny Robles whatsoever. Um, here's the thing, Manny Robles couldn't motivate this guy to stay in shape. So, you know, maybe that's not the right pair for him. Maybe he needs somebody that's going to get this guy to take, take boxing seriously to the point where he can at least get himself into just, you know, overweight shape and not like, you know borderline we're concerned about your health uh shape so god
1: i i just i hate i need to jump in look that's why i hate heavyweight boxing every other weight class you just assume because fighters have to make weight that they're going to be in good shape i mean ruiz is not a child this is not fat camp you know a boxing trainer should be about sharpening someone's skills and creating game plans for the opponents that they're going to be in with should not be about just getting a fighter to lose weight. I mean, this is, you know, it's really in any other profession. I mean, you know, it's like it's hard to make a parallel to to like an office job or something. But I mean, it's it's way below the level of the, you know, minimal professionalism you should expect for a fighter to just get into shape. And again, that's not even to say. His his weight. I mean, you know, that's sort of a side issue. Some fighters fight heavy. They carry that weight. But, you know, just clearly was not in shape, was not training. And look, I've empathized with Ruiz before. You know, there were a lot of things going on that I and no normal person will ever go through as far as, you know, his entire world changing after the first uh, Andy anthony joshua fight but um i just I, I i really just reject the notion that it's a trainer's job to um you know take their fighter to fat camp like that that just that that to me is not what a boxing trainer is for you
0: no for sure a, a, a boxer should um be able to self-motivate himself get him into pos- get himself into position so that a trainer could um so that a trainer could do their job and you know implement game plans But, like, Ruiz is just not surrounded by the the type of people or people who are at least effective at doing that. Because I'm sure if you interviewed everybody around Ruiz, like, they want this. They want him to be in shape, to take things seriously and all of that. But nobody seems to be able to get through. And Ruiz has been a professional fighter for a long time now. So... Um, you know, something needs to happen over there and, and possibly it may be one of those situations where every direction you turn, you're always there. Well, you know, maybe that, that change needs to come internally from Andy breweries and don't matter what trainer it is. Um, although a trainer could definitely help, but it don't matter what trainer it is because he's always going to be right there uh okay let's let's move on let's talk about this uh samson lukovic so josh taylor signs with top rank and you know it was a big deal um they talked about it even on first take i mean not for very long you know they talked about it for like a minute and 30 yeah, it was like a favor to max Kellerman then. yeah it was like, like okay. they gave max like he's like all right dude you got 30 seconds we're gonna play a we're gonna play a, a 45 second clip and then we're gonna Uh, A pre-recorded clip, and then we're going to let you talk for 30 minutes or 30 seconds, and then altogether it should be about a minute and a half. So, all right, they talked about it, but it looks like Josh Taylor's first fight under top rank might not be on ESPN. You want to kind of break down for people exactly the the facts of the situation before we uh, discuss uh, the implications of it?
1: Sure. So it's not super complicated. So uh, Josh Taylor has multiple belts. This is his IBF mandatory, I believe. I did not realize I was going to give the rundown, so I don't have this right in front of me. But, um, you know, he's got a mandatory, so you go to purse bid. Uh, right as this, this is happening, <laughs> Samson Lukowitz announces that he has signed uh, this Thai guy, uh, Apennon uh, Kongsong. I uh, did my best. Um, he Close signed enough. him and th- they're very interested in the purse bid. He signals that the PBC is backstopping. So he's going to have enough money to bring into the bid. Purse bid happens for the IBF belt. Uh, Lukowitz bids 1.32 million. Top rank bids 1.26 million. And Lukowitz gets the purse bid by a margin of $60,000, <laughs> which is, you know, a uh, the I max think, purse for a minimum
0: uh, weight fight. Oh, wait, max. did I say that? Uh,
1: loud? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was about a 5%. You know, they they uh, bid over by 5%, and they got the purse bid. So, yeah, as you said, this is kind of embarrassing to top rank. Um, they made a big deal that Taylor, they're promoting Taylor. Uh, Taylor is exclusive to ESPN Networks, was the language that was reported. So, you know, it's... Possible that this could lead to him being stripped of the belt if they try to uh, put this fight on Fox or Showtime. And the reaction from Top Rank was hilarious. Uh, Carl Moretti was quoted in the ESPN story as saying, um, look for the exact quote here. Um, uh, Samson said he will do the fight and we'll wait and see what the details are. If he wants to pay for this type of fight, then God bless him. So essentially... Carl Moretti has pretended they didn't want to win the fight anyway and has shat on his own fighters fight. And this is the, you know
0: <laughs> the first, first, fight first with first Josh Taylor. act
1: yeah, their first act of promoting Josh Taylor is to lose the purse bid by sixty thousand dollars, then pretend they didn't want it anyway and to shit on the quality yeah, of it. Yeah, like fight. they
0: lost it on purpose. Like they were like, No, 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 we're not bidding that much money. It's like, wait, sixty thousand more, that's the difference here. Like, you know, are you sure the, the these this is the choice of words you'd like to go with?
1: Yeah, so it creates kind of a weird situation because, you know, the PBC is primarily in the United States. Uh, Samson, you know, it was it was reported I didn't see Samson quoted directly, but seems to be indication that there there's a plan to do it in the U.K. Uh, like I said, I haven't seen Samson say that directly. So being that it's it's backstop by the PBC it seems much more likely to me that it would be in the U.S., um, which yeah, as, as I already touched on, creates the implication that or the possibility that Taylor could uh, vacate the belt, um, or if not, we could see Josh Taylor fighting on uh, PBC, you know, either undercard or main event. So I don't know. I, I have more to say about this, but uh, your
0: thoughts? Well, as far as this coming to PBC, here's the one thing that where I'll pump the brakes. I don't see these two guys being able to main event a card in the U.S. Right. And that I think that cool. needs to so be it. discussed. You can win the purse bid all you want. But Carl Moretti's right. This fight wasn't worth that money. And top rank put up probably more than this fight was worth. Um, you know, if it, the, the the dark horse, the, the person who I think is absolutely just should really, you should go sit in the corner, is Cyclone. They should have been the ones to win this purse bid. Because that would have been hilarious. If you don't know, Cyclone is Josh Taylor's former promoter who Josh Taylor uh, left. Um, According to Josh Taylor, his contract had expired. According to Cyclone, his contract has not expired. Uh, And there's a little bit of uh, some some legal trouble there. But it would have been really funny to me if they would have won the purse bid and somehow Josh Taylor would have had to go back to Cyclone or stick to his guns about them and, uh, you know...
1: Yeah, Cyclone gave uh, Samson a pat on the back on Twitter. It was kind of a funny situation, but maybe they uh, put up the extra sixty thousand. Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) got him right. Yeah, the straw that broke the camel's back, but it. It is a weird situation, because, as you said. I mean, the money to me is not crazy. I mean, if you look at the amount Showtime pays for fights or the, you know, the, the purses on like PBC cards, like this is not a crazy card. And yeah, ta- like we can joke about Taylor having a low profile in, in the US, but that is the weird thing about it because, like, the job top rank needs to do with Josh Taylor right now is build his profile in the US, you know, or use him in the UK in some, you know, utility fashion, like they've, you know, top rank has signaled they're trying to do more international fights in 2020. So he could be part of uh, that picture, the the opponents that they've talked about going forward that they want to build to our Jose Ramirez fight, and a Terrence Crawford fight, those fights would be in the US, and then they need to build his profile here. You know, those are sort of at odds, because if you do a fight in the UK, it's not going to get that much US attention. So, you know, they, they actually did have a bit of a dilemma here so if fox takes this fight and you know puts it on a fox broadcast and taylor ends up winning like that's kind of the best thing they could ever do for top rank you know top uh, fox has the biggest um platform you know show you know so t- to me already that makes it seem more likely it would be on showtime because why would they want to benefit taylor And then, you know, again, you still kind of have the same issue where if you're trying to promote that fight, um, you have to promote Taylor and kind of build him up. I mean, that was one of the interesting subplots when Errol Spence fought Kell Brook, that Errol Spence was really still an emerging fighter, but that was a pay-per-view in the U.K., so Eddie Hearn, you know, had to go into full carny mode trying to promote Errol Spence against Kell Brook. Uh, which, you know, did provide a boost to, to Errol Spence to, to some extent. I mean, again, it's a little weird cause it was in the UK, but that, that did raise his profile on the boxing internet. Um, this is a little weird cause it's like, it, you do have to wonder, it's like, there's the first level where it's like, okay, it's kind of embarrassing to top rank, but, but what is the game for the PBC? Like, um, Uh, uh, Kong Song had a very impressive KO last February against a fighter who had gone the distance with Lipinets, but um, it's like overall he's still going to come into this as a pretty heavy underdog. And if Taylor vacates the belt, uh, the most likely opponent is Subriel Matias, who's the next-ranked guy in the IBF, who's a top-ranked fighter. So, you know, there's a version of this where you say, you know, could this benefit top rank more? Did they spike the purse bid and lose it on purpose? But it's like they only lost it by 60,000. So that's certainly not reasonable. But it's like, unless the PBC really thinks that um, Kong Song has a chance to either win or kind of embarrass uh, Taylor in a close fight, um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a strange fight. Um You know, unless they're they're trying to help inflame, like you mentioned, Cyclone. I mean, that situation is still not resolved. And what Josh Taylor about has said about it is not very impressive. I mean, he's basically declaring that Cyclone is in breach of contract and therefore he voided it. But that's not how contract law works. You know, if you have a written contract that's in place until a court says otherwise. Right. So that whole situation is really weird, too. So uh, if you guys haven't been following this closely, that might have been confusing. There are a lot of aspects here, but this is going to be a story to follow for sure.
0: Yeah, um, I I just think that um, this I, I did see a quote that from Samson that said they either they were planning or they would not be opposed to this fight happening in the UK.
1: Okay. Okay. I, I was wondering, I knew because so many people had reported that, I just hadn't seen a quote. So I'll I'll, I'll certainly trust you on that if you saw that.
0: So I, I'm like super unsure about this fight like happening here in the U.S., first of all, and secondly, as a main event of some PBC fight. I'm, I mean, even top rank, like did they really intend to just put Josh Taylor in as a headliner of a card? Like th- that is not going to go well. I mean, unless they just keep him on, they kept him on ESPN Plus as a way to keep, you know, 200,000 hardcore subscribers watching, you know, maybe. But, I mean, I'm I, Josh Taylor is completely unknown here. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. Anyway, uh, moving on. Jo- Jose Ramirez, Josh Taylor's other uh, counterpart at 140 pounds, um, he was supposed to fight Victor Polstol next week. Um, they're supposed to fight in China. And, uh, obviously, you, you're probably aware of the fact that the There's a virus sweeping through China. It's led to, you know, insane quarantines of entire cities. And, you know, it's it's spreading throughout the world. Um, Pretty scary stuff. People are dying from it. And so they canceled. Rightly, they canceled the Jose Ramirez-Victor postal fight, which was supposed to happen in China. I mean... This fight seemed doomed from the start of like, you know, why is Jose Ramirez fighting in China? The guy can draw very well here in the U.S. Um, you know, it looks great on camera. Even, you know, the gate isn't great, but, you know, a ton of yeah, people yeah, go I out. Yeah, I
1: was uh, itching to jump in those $14 tickets, but.
0: I mean, look, they, those, those, those crowds, they look great on TV um, and, Maybe it's time also to, like, kind of start, you know, Jose Ramirez coming off of the win over Maurice Hooker. Maybe it's time to start pushing Jose Ramirez and and get him into position to fight either some big-time matchup with Josh Taylor or fight Terrence Crawford somewhere down the line. You'd think, like, they would start promoting Jose Ramirez like that. You know, he's no longer a prospect, which up to this point, Jose Ramirez has really been promoted as. And this fight with Victor Polsto canceled in China. So... I mean, you have anything to say about this?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a no brainer that the fight was cancelled. Like I saw some really like weird bad takes from some like <laughs> I'll just say like the Fisionados guy was like he's like for anyone criticizing top rank, like
0: no one, like who are you talking to? No, no we've been criticizing, criticizing top rank, top rank like, for like, putting in the fight there like months ago.
1: Right, exactly I mean not canceling it. Exactly yeah, exactly. Like, we're no, all no glad they cancelled like, it. Like geez, we don't need to see if China these dude- like, you know eating bats, dropping dead. Like, I mean, this is just, you know, there's just madness happening. Like, no, they're not going to do the fight there. That doesn't, that is completely wrong. But um, yeah, look, this whole situation is really weird because uh, Jose Ramirez is poised to really break out. He had the defining win of his career in his last fight. And now... They're trying to send him to China. Probably, you know, I've speculated very heavily that was to cover um, his his guarantee that probably he has a high guarantee now as a unified champion. And, you know, top rank has been very vocal. They don't want to lose more. They don't want to continue to lose money on these cards. Um so putting in China, making sure he gets paid, which just seemed extremely cynical and short-sighted. Again, if they're trying to claim that they're going to build him up as an opponent for Terence Crawford on pay-per-view, he just had the defining win of his career on days in. So you know it was muffled. This thing we've we've talked about a lot that in terms of social media n- numbers and Google trend and certainly ratings, it was absolutely dwarfed by the Javante Davis fight that same night. Um, so, look, you got this 27-year-old. This is his breakout moment. You put the fight in China. It's so weird. Um, meanwhile, Victor Postal on paper, pretty hard fight for. Postal's only lost twice. And decision to Terrence Crawford and a decision to Josh Taylor. So, um, you know, if that was on paper, probably going to be a competitive fight. I think you'd favor Ramirez to win by decision. But it's like, you know. What do you do now? I mean, that's that's the only th- the reason there isn't more to talk about this. Oh, the other important thing, for those of you who don't know, Postal had signed with the PBC. So, you know, this was a PBC versus top rank showdown. Um, but now it's really a question mark where it's going to end up, because you have the same problem that you're trying to pay Jose Ramirez or trying to make sure Jose Ramirez gets paid. Um you know, I think the most likely thing is it just happens at a casino top rank in the U.S. Top rank, you know, stops screwing around, just looks for wherever they can get the biggest site fee and they just do that fight. But, um, you know, another one to watch close.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't have much more to say about this. Um, there's this whole thing with Bob Arum talking about a matchup between Terrence Crawford and Conor McGregor. Um <laughs> I mean, it's pretty ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's just pathetic by Aram groveling for that fight. I mean, it's obviously not going to happen. Terrence Crawford doesn't bring anything to the table, did 125 pay-per-view buys in his last pay-per-view. I mean, it just, you know, doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, that's the most confusing thing about it is like if Conor McGregor is going to entertain a... a fight with a boxer, it would have to be a boxer that's going to bring something to the table that's, you know, close. And I, th- there are several UFC fights that would do far better than a fight with Terrence Crawford. So I don't understand why he would do that right. unless Conor's just looking to beat up a boxer, then sure. But you know what would be bigger than Connor McGregor fighting Terrence Crawford? Uh, just fighting Paulie Molinaggi. <laughs> We've got yeah, years I- of promotion for that one.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 again, the, the story here is more about, you know, Bob Aram kind of embarrassing himself and not, you know, because it's like it's not going to happen. There's nothing here. You know, it's just it's it's kind of embarrassing that they're trying to, you know, they <laughs> they've had enough of uh, uh their fill of clout chasing on Errol Spence. Now they're trying to clout chase on Conor McGregor for a little bit. And it's, you know, completely one-sided. I mean, that's not the sort of thing Conor McGregor even needs to respond to.
0: Well, it's it's also, like, super predictable, too. Like, um, that th- this is now just what Bob Arum does. He, he brings up whoever has just recently fought. You know, we saw it with um, Spence. We've, we're seeing it with McGregor. Um, we're going to see it with Danny Garcia over the next week, probably. So, I mean, this, this is how they've promoted Terrence Crawford, basically, is floating him as an opponent for guys that he's not going to fight which for Crawford is probably really um really frustrating given that most of the guys that you hear discussed as potential opponents for him wind up not happening
1: uh yeah I mean this this whole thing is just stupid I mean I I mean, look, the main takeaway here is, like, this strategy is not working for Crawford. His last fight was a promotional failure. It, you know, did not generate a big big Google traffic numbers, big Google, tra- uh, big social media numbers. The ticket sales were not good and the TV ratings were, you know, were way down, both, both for that post-Heisman slot and compared to Terrence Crawford's past ESPN fights. So, you know, that's what Top Rank keeps doing. And. Every indication is that this this, you know, victim this plan to make him, you know, the victim and complain about the fights he's not getting is not really getting him very far.
0: Yeah. Um you think uh Top Rank signing of Jarrell Miller was a big deal?
1: It's just interesting that um Top Rank is, you know, picking up heavyweights. Um there are big implications for who wins it goes without saying there are huge implications for who wins the the Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder rematch and what the outcome of that fight is in terms of you know how the win looks um, you know it's it hurts top ranks credibility on drug testing for sure i mean you know whoever was going to sign miller he had a lot of value i mean that is there you know he's one of the few undefeated heavyweights left uh he's a big guy you know he's got a good he's got a good voice um you know is he as big as a wilder joshua fury no but he he (laughs) he is physically at least in in terms of weight but um he's he's a piece you know he can be a piece of uh some good promotions um and but you know he's got the drug testing (laughs) problem so um you know someone sort of had to you know, bite their integrity and top rank did, you know, they said drug cheat. Well, we'll take it. Business is more important than integrity this time.
0: Yeah. um, I I think it's a desperate move to, to, to sign Jarrell Miller at this point. I mean, you got to consider something. Jarrell Miller had reached the point that he had reached in his career and he was not signed with a major promoter. And almost always, there's really a reason for that. And it's because usually that guy just never showed anything that would convince uh, the big promoters to either sign him or to poach him away or something like that. So, you know, Jarrell Miller, I think, is overachieved thus far in his career. Nothing I've ever seen in in, in watching a Jarrell Miller fight has led me to believe that he's one of the best or on the verge of being one of the best heavyweights in the world. Now, the guy's got a big mouth. He can talk himself into fights. I, I get all of that, and I have certainly a lot of respect for that. But ultimately, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, this is just top rank saying we're just going to get everything that isn't nailed down uh, at, the, at the heavyweight division, and Jarrell Miller fits that, fits... Well, doesn't fit into a lot of things, but fits that. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm I down on it. I think if Wilder beats Fury um, and beats him enough that, you know, it really... Kills the mystique of Tyson Fury. Um, top Rank's going to be left with a lot of fledgling B minus C guys at heavyweight that really there's there you know they're not going to get much done. And we're going to have mean, a lot of bad yeah. matchups because you know Jarrell Miller headlining a card a- 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 against um, Tom Schwartz like that's really not going to be entertaining whatsoever. Jarrell Miller and, and Oscar Rivas, I don't know how entertaining that fight is. Yeah, I mean,
1: there there are a few ways to look at it. I mean, one, there this signals confidence and fury. Two, heavyweights always do decent business. So, it, you know, it's like speaking of even like Adam Kanaki against Chris Ariola on paper, a lot of fight fans could sneer at that, but that did a very solid rating. Um, Brian Jennings did some OK ratings on top-ranked broadcasts. So, um, yeah, I mean... I, I, I just I think a, a little bit about uh, after AJ got knocked out last year, we were sort of looking at top rank wondering about a uh, uh, match room about um, Parker and Ushik having signed over there when Hearn was trying to collect, you know, all the pieces. And, um, you know, I think the one constant is heavyweights are pretty good draws at this point. Every heavyweight is going to be worth something in the next five years. No no matter who wins these big fights, these unification fights, everyone is going to need opponents. And, you know, Miller's a piece of that. You know, it, it really, you know, we don't know the details. I mean, one, we don't know how much money they had to pay. And we don't know how much this is going to hurt them. I mean, look, drug testing issues come up. I mean, what happens if an opponent of Lomachenko has a drug test, testing issue? Is this going to somehow, you know... Uh, paint them into a corner because they signed. You know, it's it's boxing has been around for a long time. It's going to be around for a long time. I mean, sometimes these decisions can make sense in the short term and they can have long-term consequences. Anyway, that's as much as I have to say about that.
0: Okay. Um, now, he, in a way, he's going to make his top-ranked debut in April. It's likely going to happen in Vegas, um, probably at the Cosmo or something like that, um, against John Real Casemiro, who's a guy who... Um, it's kind of like a, he's really just like a, an, an upsetter. You know, Casemiro is a good fighter. He's come up short uh, a couple of times, but also he's a guy that's like rugged, you know, like you take him, you don't take him seriously and he's going to beat you. Um, so it's a pretty solid first fight for Inouye uh, in his top-ranked debut. Do um, you have any thoughts on, his, on, on the fight?
1: Yeah, pretty good opponent. I, I've i've said many times including on this podcast that i think the sort of the finances of the fight are related to getting an in a way fight getting a, a site fee from a costume in a way fight there um yeah again pretty good opponent um outside of Neri that's about the best you can do at at uh bantam weight for in a way besides a donary rematch maybe um yeah it's fine i'll be watching
0: yeah, I mean, it's not the the, the most thrilling um, matchup of the year, but it's certainly, like, if you have interest in these lighter weight classes, I mean, it is pretty good. Um, yep. th- I mean, the only problem is, like, Casamero has been fighting uh, at a lower weight class. That's the only thing. Um, the guy's fought at, like, 115 for most of his career. So, um, you know, he does have that going for him.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like in a probably bigger, but in a fought lower you know, it's it's hard to really like have a strong counter narrative there. Like he had his last two fights. Actually, I was
0: looking at the wrong person. Um no. Oh. he has he's he's fought at <laughs> he's fought at uh uh Bantamweight for a couple of years now. I was thinking yeah, of somebody yeah. else. He's fought at Bantamweight for a couple of years. But he he was a career flyweight uh you know, famously had those those two super controversial fights with I'm not ruined wrong, where like boxing like wanted to get petition signed and everything because of the like, ah, the rune the first fight that he had rune wrong. It's one of the most visceral reactions I've seen on, on, on Reddit, uh, from a fight. (laughs) Um, that damn, that was like 2015. Yeah. People like were nuts about that fight. It was was like, we were like a couple months removed from Mayweather Pacquiao and people were like just going ballistic over this fight. So anyway, that's all the news for this week. Um, Anything you uh, you want to touch or talk a little bit about the the card on Thursday? Tevin Farmer is going to be uh, back in action against JoJo Diaz. You have a pick in that one.
1: I I I'm going to go with JoJo Diaz. I think it's a good fight, though. You know, we've clowned on Tevin Farmer a lot for turning down two million dollars because he seems to not understand how like language and sentence structure <laughs> works. Uh, Bella saying, like, how can we accept $2 million when Gervonta Davis was offered $5 million on a different network? It's like, well, okay, you accepted $500,000 instead. So that's one quarter of the money. You know, it's, ugh, just, anyway, I'm, I'm getting angry even thinking about it. But um, yeah, it's like uh, that fight's pretty good and I'm picking JoJo Diaz.
0: I expect it to be a very close fight. Um and I think Tevin Farmer will get the decision on in a very close fight. Um, got any thoughts about Anjade's fight?
1: I mean that that is just horrible, and it's you know the same thing we've seen from Eddie Hearn and, and Top Rank does this as well. They call out an opponent, uh, cry victim when it doesn't come through, and then instead have a, a grade Z opponent jump in. It just, I mean, it's total garbage and. You know, this fight, this card has two good fights, a YouTuber fight, and then a shitty fight, which is technically a title fight because Andrade has a version of a belt that he won in a vacant title fight. You know, why is that one the main event? Uh, I really don't get
0: that. I, I honestly think the Tevin Farmer fight should be the main event. It, um Because Tevin Farmer and Jojo Diaz at least they're relatively known like you know the danny roman fight is a unification or not a unification fight it's a unification fight i don't think so um but there are two titles on no no it's not a unification but there are two titles on the line there um when you look at like well which fight seems like it's got it's going to be the best on paper um in terms of what these guys are bringing to the ring you know it's that fight i believe however you know nobody really knows these guys nobody knows danny roman um uh, nobody really knows Ak- Medliev Medliev. So, you know, that's probably, Ak-d-a-l-e-v.
1: I believe it. That's how it's pronounced.
0: Uh, well, we'll find out on Thursday when Brian Kenny mispronounces it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that should probably be the main event. Um, the, the, the Tevin farmer fight, but whatever, I'm not going to get into what should or shouldn't be the main event. Um, there are some good fights and then you'll have a piss break when the YouTubers come out. Um, uh, your Dennis Ugas also returns to the ring on Saturday. He will be fighting Mike Dallas jr. On FS1. And... Um.
1: Yeah. No, just, just last thought on the, the, the days in card. I mean, uh, yeah, the Daniel Roman fight is a good fight. I mean, the YouTuber fight, I mean, I'm not going to go too crazy making fun of it, but it's like, it's, it's not even like a, it's not even like high profile, like quote influencers, YouTubers, like, Gib is not like that big of a name, and you know Jake Paul is, you know, the lesser of the brothers in terms of his popularity. I mean, this is just, you know, I mean, it's a shame Fred's not on. He's had some good takes about this, and I I think it's transparent. Dazen is doing this to try to get raise the profile of the company with investors. They're probably trying to meet with people Super Bowl week. They can say, "Great, we have this fight going on. Look at some Google trend numbers because the, the YouTubers." And it's just, it's just weird. But I don't know. Also, I just, you know, again, missing Fred, he totally would have clowned you for saying that um, Jojo Diaz versus Heaven Farmer deserves to be the headliner. It's like, this thing, none of these people are draws. Even the YouTubers, it's very unclear how much they'll be able to draw here. I I have no idea what the crowd is going to look like here. If it's going to be papered, if a certain amount of people are going to buy it if putting it on during Super Bowl weekend will have ended up being a successful, you know, gamble, if that's even how Daze is viewing it. And there'll be enough people who are just in town and, you know, they're looking for stuff to do and they'll, they'll go to a YouTuber event. I mean, I don't know. I'm shaking my head anyway. I'm done with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I just think the Tevin farmer fight should be the main event because none of these other fights have um, any level of interest um, from the greater boxing public at large. I mean, at least having farmers in the conversation with Javante Tev- uh, Davis pretty frequently, and don't get me started on Demetrius Andrade and the Jamal Charlo stuff because, um, that's completely overblown. But anyway, those are the fights this week. Your Dennis Ugas fight uh, against Mike Dallas Jr. that will be on FS1 on Saturday. Um, one thing to note is Michelle Rivera will be on the undercard, who's a very very interesting prospect. He's got some really nice knockouts on on his highlight reel. Definitely worth checking out um, this one. And, uh, yeah, that's all the fights for this week. So, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, I want to thank you for listening. Um, Tom, anything, any final words for you? No,
1: not really. The FS1, you know, it's like great. We're PBC shills. But the FS1 card has some good prospects. Um,
0: Omar Juarez Brooks. is going to be on it.
1: Yeah, Omar Juarez, who's looked very impressive. Burley Brooks, who's... In um, a pretty decent fight, his 10-1.
0: Yeah,
1: so, I mean, yeah, exactly. Omar Juarez is a guy who looks like he really has, like, star potential. So, um, Jose Borrego always this comes is... to fight. So that should be a good action-packed fight of the card. Look, this is totally an FS1 card. Mike Dallas Jr. is not a super high-level opponent for Sugas, but again... Uh, I always pronounce it Michael. I mean I guess it's spelled Michelle Rivera. I don't know, someone correct me. But um you know he's a really impressive looking prospect. Fidel Maldonado, I mean that's not a huge step up. That's that's you know an opponent an up and coming guy is going to face but um look like there there's the there worst ways you can spend a saturday night.
0: Well I box. mean Michelle Rivera 21 year old prospect Dominican Republic uh is that from out of there um they are fighting for the same title that um, Jesse Hart and Joe Smith Jr. were fighting for, or was it no no? no. Or was it the Alvarez Seals fight? Which one was for the WBC Continental American uh, America's title? Don't ask me that. Well, but... one of them was. So this one is for that one. But yeah, Michelle's uh, still a prospect. Twenty seven and four Maldonado. This is the kind of fight you need to see him uh, be in with because um, you don't want to be criticized later on. I mean, this is also his only his fourth fight. This this will be his fourth fight outside of the Dominican Republic. And that's something you should always look for in prospects is how many fights have they fought outside of their home country, Um, especially if they don't come from a a country that produces a ton of boxing talent. The Dominican Republic doesn't. So it's super critical that Rivera fights, you know, someone other than the local tough guys in the Dominican Republic. Um, And this isn't always the case. You know, Emmanuel Navarrete fought almost exclusively in Mexico um regionally prior to coming to america and it it worked out really well for him but there's a lot of guys that don't get that sort of seasoning and then they come over here and they don't look very good so rivera this will be his uh his fourth fight outside of um outside of the dominican republic so he's still developing i don't think rivera is going to be anywhere close to title contention anytime soon given that he's only 21 years old so that's it for this week i want to thank you guys as always for listening um if you want to get in on the chat, you should definitely do that. Sign up for the Patreon. Go over to sunday.com... Sunday, uh, shit. Patreon.com slash sundaypuncher. Sign up for the Patreon. You get exclusive content over there. You get podcasts. But also, I mean, the best thing, I think, is the chat where um, you get like, you know, it's one place where you can get boxing conversation that doesn't resort into like the normal back and forth drama of boxing Twitter. Nobody's going to block you. Nobody's going to report your, you. You uh, that I, I would say that that's probably the best thing over there. And if you act up, we'll just you know, start deleting your comments and stuff um, if you're not being productive, <laughs> a productive member of society. So anyway, thanks a lot for listening. That's it for this week. We'll be back very soon uh, breaking down that uh, Andrade card as well as the, your Dennis Ugas card.